Welcome to the Dauntless Grace Exchange. I'm Deidre. And I'm Megan. And today we have Kelsey Olds on our podcast with us. Um, just real briefly, I first met Kelsey through a Facebook group uh, years and years ago. And then I think I had the pleasure, Deidre and I both met her and her husband in person. I want to say at a conference in Tulsa where I know Deidre and I spoke at that conference and I can't, Kelsey, I can't remember if you did or not. I did. You uh, did. Okay. Okay, great. And so we met you there. And since then, I've just kind of been a fan of the work that you're doing um, on Facebook, on social media, and just the nuance you're putting out into the world. So invited you here to talk today, but let me read your official bio, which I want to give you kudos for <laughs> looking at our instructions as please provide us with a brief bio because you have given us the most brief bio in the history of bios. And I really it's like the that. only brief thing I've ever written. Anybody <laughs> who follows my work is like, I'm sorry, she was brief. What? <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll let, we'll let you expand, but Kelsey is both an occupational therapist and the occupational therapist working offline in elementary schools with children and doing online advocacy with caregivers, caregivers and professionals. So the OPT, the occupational therapist, Kelsey, welcome to our podcast. I'm super excited to be here. And you I tell, tell us more about what you do because it's really fascinating. Yeah. yeah. So I, in my, uh, my, my day job, which makes it sound like it's not my love and passion. So that's not true. But um, I work uh, on a uh, U.S. Air Force base in England. So I'm living in England. Um, my kids go to British school. We shop at English grocery stores. Um, but I work on the base in the elementary school that they have for children of military families. Um, and uh, I say elementary school, but there's also uh, intermediate, middle, and high school. They just have fewer kids who who need um, OT services, but I do actually work at all of them. Um, I, uh, I provide OT services in the schools uh, that are supposed to be comparable to what they would be able to get, what anybody would be able to get anywhere in the, in the U.S. Um, because uh, being overseas doesn't mean that you don't, that you're not entitled to the same government services. So that's what my role is, um, here is providing that for those families. And that has a lot of overlap with trauma-informed care because it is, um, uh, continuously traumatizing to be a kid and be moved around every two years. And when you're not moved around, then uh, a third of the people who are your teachers and your classmates and uh, all of your school staff and everyone are being continuously replaced every year. No one has any continuity of care. And so um, so that isn't something that I um, had as a passion kind of before I came to this job, but it has kind of uh, grown in in uh, my time being here. And then. My work online uh, as the occupational therapist, I I write a lot about about parenting, about um, OTing, about um, neurodivergence, about um, uh, respecting children and uh, respecting play, and that children learn through play and how powerful it is. Mm-hmm. Um, I speak to teachers and other school professionals and other therapy professionals and also parents and also people who uh, don't have children but are kind of uh, looking back with a lens on their own childhood or or trying to um, make sense of things they experienced or maybe um, look at themselves in a new light or with new voices than the ones that were maybe put in their mind throughout their childhood so that is amazing I I 
I know just a little bit about actual like, you know, mental health therapy, just a little bit. And knowing what I know now, I would go back and be such a different parent. I'd be a different kid and teenager and young adult too, to be honest, <laughs> but I would be a very different parent. And I'm trying to fix some things like reparent my own children. That's, some of the yeah, that's really... I made. But I, I just think like all the tools you have just, I, I can't imagine like if I also had those tools with my younger children right. and what that would have looked like. What's one of the just the and, common things that you see that we just don't do well as a society around play? Oh man, around play. Um, I feel like there is a really pervasive uh, belief that um, play is only the part of what children go around doing that is like fun and activities and maybe like would look good on a picture or maybe even if people are like, well, you know, it can be messy or, you know, not, not photogenic or whatever, but they still think of it as the, like the, the fun part, as long as everybody's having fun and everybody's happy the whole time. Mm. Um, and I don't think that that's true. Play is, um, involves a, a range of emotions and, um, even play by, by yourself. I remember playing by myself for like hours as a kid where I would, um, I had beanie babies and they were all my orphans in the orphanage and I would line them all up and take care of them. And I would be like kind of narrating stuff, either like whispering it to myself or just like saying stories in my own head, but like terrible traumatizing things were happening to these beanie babies. And I was coming in, like helping them with, you know, in my like very, very limited child capacity. And what I was doing was processing stuff I'd heard about or read about, or maybe knew a little bit about, but not enough to do anything like realistic. But, um, but I wasn't just like sitting there like, woo, woo, this is a fun, happy time. Like I was like thinking sad things or maybe even being sad or feeling, you know, like a whole range of feelings. And then even more so when you throw other people into the mix, because then you've got to argue over who made this rule and does that rule still make sense? And are we changing the rule? And how is the game going to go? And, and negotiating and bartering and all of those things. And, um, and those involve childish emotions and then like in adulthood, you know, still I play D and D and that involves all kinds of emotions. I play D Dungeons and Dragons. Um, and, and we're still acting out all kinds of traumatizing stuff happening <laughs> to our characters as we fight monsters and go imaginary places. And it's not, it's still not just like happy woo 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 the whole time. Cause that wouldn't be, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be um, profound. It wouldn't be like meaningful, but well, that, so I think those are really good examples and you're fleshing that out. Do you have like a working definition of the word play? Like how you use it? Oh man, what a good question. I don't, but I should, and I should have it on my page. Um, <laughs> In a thousand I, words or less, Kelsey, how would you define? <laughs> I, I just think that, um, oh man, I'm sure people have, cause I could name different kinds of play for you that people have broken down. Like, um, like social play is one that uh, you'll see and it goes through the lifespan, but it's like often the biggest form of play for teenagers. So people don't necessarily recognize it as play because it's not like lining up toys or ro rolling cars down a track, but it's like um, having inside, inside jokes with people and bantering with them or word play or, um, or things like that. Uh, and then like all the way back down to like, um, uh, the first kind of play that babies engage in is locomotor play, where literally just the act of moving is what is the the joy and the 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 meaning, the profound meaning. 
So a baby will just be laying on the floor and they'll like fling their whole arm in front of their face and be like, oh my gosh, I just, I just made something happen. And then they'll fling their whole arm back in front the other way of their face, you know, and, and all they're doing is taking meaning. So I think I keep saying joy and meaning almost interchangeably. And that sounds like it contradicts. I'm hearing my own self as I say it. it sounds like it contradicts what I was just saying about play not being happy, happy, happy. But I do think it is um, meaningful. And so maybe it's the, it's the, the, the thing that fills up everything that isn't, I don't know, work and, 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 but, but I think that, I mean, I play at work all the time. So then that's hard for me to say that that's not, (laughs) that those are exclusive. They're not, um, man, that's a good question. I didn't mean to stump you. I, I feel like, you know, having the fact that there are lots of different kinds of play for different seasons and different um, like abilities and different mm-hmm. growth steps, that that is probably why it's so hard to come up with like one standard definition of what right. it is. But I think what you're hitting on is like making meaning out of something like yeah. almost kind of unintentionally, like almost stumbling upon it as opposed to having it assigned to you. Yeah, is you that can see play right? discovering meaning in the world or something like oh, that. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> it's well, it's also that. like really vague and a little bit wooey, but um, but it is like I do feel like that probably encapsulates how I use it in my work because I don't just mean doing an activity that the teacher designated for this time. Like that's right. super not what I mean, you know? And so um but it does look real different across the lifespan and at, and at different ages. But then what's, what's fun to me is that um, never do they really like uh, stop. So like locomotor play is like the first one, but then you see other forms of locomotor play when you hit toddler age. And then again, when you hit older and older and older, and then you've got adults who are like, I want to like learn new kinds of yoga moves that I've never done before. And I'm not like getting a reward for it. I'm just finding it intrinsic, intrinsically meaningful to figure out how I can move my body. Like that's, that's, it's not for a sport. I'm not competing. You know, it's just, I, I just want to move my body and see how that is and how that feels. And so. um, It kind of feels like it's like unlocking the potential of what we're capable of too, because it's, it's introducing a new skill, you know, like the baby found his foot. Oh, I didn't know that there was a foot attached to my body yet. Look at that, you know? Or like, even like you said, as adults with yoga, like what can, what are the limitations of my body? What can I do that I didn't know I was capable of or or whatever? And I think that that's fascinating to me because I don't like the discomfort of growing into new spaces. (laughs) So it feels like someone has to make it a requirement, but that's, what's the beauty of approaching it through something like play, because I don't know, I guess I'm like, so I had to have a word of the year that was play. And I didn't even want to announce that to the world because it felt so meaningless. And now here you talk, I'm like, oh, that was really meaningful. It was like, it was a rite of passage of growth in my life that I had kind of skipped out on, you know, at one point. So I love that. I think that's a fabulous word of the year too. So let's talk about like kind of where play intersects trauma-informed care, whether it's with parenting our own kids or working with other people or reparenting ourselves? Where does play kind of intersect that? So um, a big part of what I do that is maybe different than uh, what um, other school professionals usually are capable of in a public school setting and also what other OTs like this isn't it's not that what I do is synonymous with all OT in the world because OT is very, very broad. 
but one of the things that I do is that all of my sessions are, um, or at least the vast majority, there's some exceptions, but, um, are, are, are tried to be rooted in child-led play. And, uh, and so that means that, um, a lot of OTs, it is like standard OT practice. I'm not saying anything is bad or that these OTs are terrible, but it is, it is pretty normal for OTs to be like, I have set up activity A, activity B and activity C, and we will go into the room and we will do activity A and then we will do activity B and then C. And those all have to do with the kid's goals. And, um, the kid does them because I say so. And, um, sometimes the kid doesn't want to do them, but it's work and we need to, you know, do it. And, and, um, or maybe there's a reward involved or things like that, like totally normal kid relating things. And instead of that, I have over the years slid into a place where, where I feel the most comfortable with my authentic practices that I set up several stations around the room, but also there's a lot of free materials in there that are not associated with any particular station. And the ones that I set up have a specific thing in my mind that have to do with the kids goals that I've written. Um, but uh, but the kid might uh, approach the station and use the materials in a novel way that I wasn't expecting, or they might um, bring two things together that I wasn't expecting, or they might um, uh, skip everything that I've laid out for them and go to, you know, some some novel materials and do that instead. And I really try to completely follow and be either a partner or a follower or a supporter in their play and not ever the director. The kid is the director. Um, and so that does mean that sometimes I'm still like nudging in little ways where I'm where, you know, they're like, um, I think we should cut out this thing with scissors. And they just like, hey, me the scissors or whatever. And I'm like, oh, hang on. I'm super busy with this very important um, thing that I had to do right this second. But I'll help you in just a sec or you can get started if you want. And then like, you know, and then they they might be like, OK, I could try it. And then, they'll you know, they'll try it themselves as opposed to we all sit down in a room and I'm like today's activity is we are going to cut this out with scissors here are scissors do it you know and so um there's a lot more of like um I hate to say trickery <laughs> <laughs> but um but I'm I'm trying to lean real hard into intrinsic motivation which is um very counter to the way that the public school system is set up in the United States, it is not founded in in what is intrinsically motivating to to children, um, or at least not all the children in the room, and probably not the ones who got called for having services on their on their uh, IEP. Um, and and so uh, so that is a way that I do that I do OT in a very in a very novel way, and then I try to lean the same. Um, philosophy that underlies that I guess being being able to be in control of uh of play and of the session and of if we're saying play is making your own meaning then being able to be in control of of making your own meaning um is really particularly meaningful with the kids who I work with right now because of the the kind of destabilization or kind of up to trauma of moving all the time having everyone around you move all the time, your surroundings always being changed. And, um, and the school system does not, does not lend itself to, you know, kid be in charge. The school system lends itself to please follow the directions and, and sit down and be yeah. quiet and, and, and do the thing that I said. And so, um, coming to, coming to me and being like, no, this, 
in this realm, like, yes, we're working on goals. If they're old enough, then I ask them what they want their goals to be. But um, even if even if I'm the one who wrote the goals, I'm like, I can know that this is helpful for you for your life. But you're 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 in charge of how we get there, because uh, I feel like that's a component that's missing a lot from pediatric OT compared to adult OT anyway. Like people will still use the word non-compliant to talk about adults in adult OT sometimes. But it for the most part, it'll be like you know, you're having rehab on your wrist because you broke your wrist or you had carpal tunnel surgery and you're having rehab and you drove yourself to this appointment and you are paying for it or your insurance is paying for it and you're voluntarily here and you want to be able to use your hand again and you want to do all the things. And then kid OT is like, we all sat in a room and we decided that there's a problem with you and I've been designated to come you know, down to you and make you fix that. And nothing about that is like the same thing as the empowerment of um, of, of the way that adult, adult OT is in the way that it, the way that it leans into making your own meaning. And, and so, um, that's what I try to bring back. And, um, and that's what I try to put into my online work too, is, is being like, um, this is how to empower kids. This is how to, uh, extend, a uh, even when they can't be, in charge of every single little thing because that's why they have parents they wouldn't necessarily make the best decisions on every single little thing but still like here's how to be a partner in your own life even while you're very young I think that's the thing that sticks out to me the most about the post that I see from you is that you make it very clear like kids don't have a lot of natural agency like you said they can't take care of themselves they can't feed and clothe and house themselves or earn their money and so they are very reliant and so play in parenting alone, it just introduces a different kind of agency to the kids to have choice over their own kind of, not just learning, but like how they grow, how they engage with the world. And so I would I would think especially for people who have experienced trauma of any kind um, or loss and destabilization like you're speaking about with the Air Force, they specifically are going to be a lot more childlike in the fact that they haven't felt a lot of agency, right? They've had a lot of that ripped away from them, either through grief or loss or abuse or neglect or any whatever trauma it was they experienced or just being different in the world. Um, then this play gives them a different sense of agency over discovering and engaging. And I love that you just bring that correlation so clearly in the work that you do. And I think sometimes because of that, it can it can go either way. It can be people will feel very childlike or feel very attached to child. I'm, I would put air quotes around childlike, but feel very attached to to interests that are considered childlike or on the flip side, people might feel like it's very threatening because when they were a child, then they were um, maybe either expected or even like outright encouraged or explicitly told that they needed to not, you know, be like a child. And, um, and that the things that made them, you know, good or mature or mature for their age or whatever, that th- were uh like reducing or or minimizing the qualities that seemed childlike you know and so um getting back in touch with that can be threatening or overwhelming or feel like it's taking steps back or like it's gonna you know um make you less whatever less desirable less mature whatever it is that someone's clinging to Okay, not to not like this isn't about anybody I know, but like for example, someone <laughs> who's for a friend asking for a friend. What would you recommend for someone like you just mentioned that maybe didn't feel like they could be a child when they were a child because that sense of responsibility or 
you know, they just were praised for being, you know, for, for example, they were praised for like being very grown up or mature. What are ways that we can reclaim that? I think that, um, I'll give an example that is very, um, uh, probably very relatable for a lot of people and also not like super duper heavy in terms of like significance and maybe a little bit tangential, but, um, but I think that probably there are a lot of, uh, women or people who were, uh, raised as girls, um, who, um, might have, uh, uh, like hated pink and purple in like a backlash against like the fact that it was so socialized onto them that they should like pink and purple. Um, and so like, uh, not, I mean, like, like, like legitimately, like, no, that I, those colors are gross and those are girl colors and blah, blah, blah. And then, um, I think, uh, I might not be talking about anyone who I know either. <laughs> and, and, uh, when I grew up and when I, uh, I color my hair, I color it wild colors all the time. Um, and, um, I stuck in the firmly in the blues range, uh, for the first several rounds of coloring it because blue is actually my favorite color. Like I just like it the most to look at, but also because I felt like if I colored it, anything that was pink or purple, then I was like being girly and it can't be girly because I'm not girly. And, um, and it sounds like a really silly little thing, but when I colored it pink for the first time, I was like no actually like it's also a nice color to look at like it's all it was like I don't know it was like a big it felt momentous in a way that I know nobody around me considered momentous um and I think that that is uh I think that that type of like um I think that it has to be authentic and come from yourself like it's not like somebody could could be like um you didn't you didn't get a chance to play, you didn't get a childhood the way that you should have. Um, here is a, a doll play with it. Like, it, you know, like, it, or, or here is a game, enjoy it. Like if it's coming from somebody else's, it might be well-meaning or if somebody's like, I recommend this to you because I liked it, then that's different. But I mean, like somebody can't tell you what thing it is that will feel authentic for you. And the amount of different kinds of play that there are that I was kind of alluding to at the very beginning of this, I think it gives this a lot of realm that um, a lot of options that might not be like the first thing that you think of when you think of like, I want to play like I didn't get a chance to in my childhood. You might think I need to like pretend stuff with dolls or whatever. And like that might feel authentic to one person. And then to another person, it might feel like I am pretending stuff with dolls. This is the nothing, you know, those would be like really valid ways of like, experiencing that I mean effectively playing Dungeons and Dragons is pretending stuff with dolls so that's like I just do it with my friends and also there's lots of dragons involved but I'm pretty sure that little girls play with dolls with lots of terrible things happening to them too so um <laughs> every fairy tale has a dragon or monster doesn't it right but then to another person like pretending might not be a thing that that is very meaningful to them but um uh, collecting some, like collecting something that they love might be something that is very meaningful to them or, um, 
or like locomotor play, like doing stuff that is movement with their body might be very meaningful to them, or they might really love wordplay and social play with their friends, or they might, um, there's one that I'm blanking on the name of, it's like ritual play or traditional play or something like that. Traditional play sounds like it means something else, but um, it means like um, getting really into like myths or your culture or, uh, or interest in things like that. A lot of kids have a phase where they go through being really interested in ritual play. Um, or just like there, there's like 16, so I can't name them all off the top of my head. And if I did, I would take up the whole podcast. But, um, but I think that there's a lot of different ways that, you know, one person could be like, what I love to do, what I do for me is that I go swim laps at the, at the, you know, at the gym where I have a membership and that's what I do when I get away and I have my own time. And I, you know, maybe I loved swimming as a kid, or maybe I wasn't allowed to swim as a kid, or maybe I didn't know how to swim as a kid or whatever it is. And then another person could be like, I collect Pokemon cards and I love that. And that is meaningful to me. And I, I admired him as a kid, or I was told that Pokemon was demonic as a kid, or I, you know, like, like whatever it could, it could relate in that it was meaningful to you as a child, or it could relate in that it was deprived from you as a child, or it could relate in that you thought it was cool, but you weren't, you didn't, your family didn't have the means or the resources to let you pursue it as a child or like whatever, or, um, uh thrill seeking could be uh, a form of it like going to amusement parks or like you know wanting to do cool experiences or or, or things like that and um now i'm just sounds kind like, of throwing well, it out like you're, yeah it sounds like you're talking about either claiming or reclaiming maybe something that you couldn't have because of societal expectations like if you enjoyed the color pink then society expected this of you and then right. you found as an adult oh i can still enjoy the color pink in a way that is outside of societal expectations or yeah I can move my body in this way because I wasn't allowed to skip rope as a whatever I mean that's a yeah. example probably but like something that maybe is outside of whatever the expectation was and claiming it or reclaiming it for yourself as an adult yeah I think there's something really powerful in that and I think that um it can be hard for people to get in touch with especially if they have no idea where to start so I mean you could legitimately just like Google, like, what are the 16 types of play and then read some of them and see if any of them sounded cool or, um, or just like, you know, walk through a toy store or, or whatever. And just like, or think about some time in your childhood when there was a thing that you, that you did want, but couldn't do or couldn't partake in or couldn't have or, or whatever it is. Um, I don't think it has to be something that costs money to try to, to, you know, to get in touch with, with yourself in this way. Um, creating stuff that's a big one for me I uh I think that art is almost its own little spin-off category of play but also like I don't know there's lots of overlappiness I do a lot of stuff with art too so that's a big a big component of of things that I do but um I appreciate I wanna... that you did not bring up like a craft kind of art though as a necessary play so some of us have a little trouble with that one so I love that there's all these other options to engage in it yeah yeah, I do a lot of stuff with process, pro, uh, process art instead of product art. The yeah. concept being, it's it's how small children naturally do art, and then it also isn't how older children naturally do art, which all makes sense and is yeah. developmentally appropriate for uh, like a two year old and a three year old. Don't 
well-meaning adults will be like, oh, what's your picture of? And the answer is they weren't even thinking I'm going to make a picture of something. They were like, I'm exploring what crayons do. Um, and, and then, you know, as you get older, you're just like, I'm starting with a picture in my head. I'm translating it to paper. I'm evaluating the result as I go. Does this look like I wanted it to? No, it doesn't. I will erase that part, you know? And so like, it's like, you're doing all these developmental steps. And then that goes to more complicated crafts too, and not just drawing and writing. Um, but I think that, um, it, uh, as someone who is mild to moderately artistically talented regardless it has still been very meaningful to me to try to uh re-enter a place of doing process art and not product art where I do not start with the thing in my head even though I probably could um and instead am like what happens if I pour paint on this thing and then what happens if I put glitter on that oh this has been fun okay what about now if glue is involved and like I just see where it goes (laughs) that's kind of how I write I wrote a whole novel I think with process writing instead of product yeah. writing I was like oh here's a sentence and a main character's name let's see where the story goes <laughs> I think that it's really it gets you into a state of flow in a way that um product stuff does not because uh I think you're inherently living in uh anticipation of a future moment where your product will be done when you are doing product anything and you are inherently a little more able to just live in the moment of what it is that your hands are doing when you are doing process things. So process things is really being more embodied then because you're more in the present moment when you can be in process rather than always looking to the product. Absolutely. Bam! There's like our tagline for this episode. Did did anyone sign up for this to be a therapy session? (laughs) No, but you just got it. I feel it. (laughs) Thank you for all of that. It's all very impactful actually. Uh, I have one last unrelated question because I could probably ask you 104 That's more, fair. but it is past your bedtime. I think you never have to so. go back a second time. I can talk more times than just one. Yes, for sure. Um, I want to talk to you because it, if we're talking about play and kind of student led play. Um, one of the posts that I saw of yours recently that really stuck out to me talked about logical consequences and how we as grownups, um, when working with children or let's be honest with other just people, we think, oh, if you miss a deadline, here's the logical consequence, which is right. blah, blah, blah. And you were like, well, actually what a logical consequence would be is not what you think it is. It's not punitive. It would literally just be the logical, natural. Well, so yeah, I think you're blending. So talk- Am I blending some? Okay, you redefine it for me because I don't know. Blending the words natural and logical, I think, which is a really, really common thing in parenting circles. Fix this for me. The natural consequence of anything is just literally what happens. Like I, um, I, I uh, poured my plate of dinner on the floor. Now my food is on the floor. That is the natural consequence of the behavior or the action that I did. It's just what happens without anybody interfering. And a lot of parents will say natural consequences when what they mean is logical consequences. Uh. And they and so they're like, the logical consequence of you pouring your food on the floor is that you have to clean the floor or whatever, like that type of thing. And I think that the post you're referring to open with, I think we would all be fine if we let the word consequences slip from our vocabulary entirely, which yes. is one step even further. Because I think that um, I've read a lot of posts in parenting groups where they're like, well, this is what natural means and this is what logical means. And what we need to do is, you know, most of the time natural, but maybe sometimes logical when you can't let the natural one happen. Like you can't be like the natural consequence of you play in the road as a car smushes you because you can't let that happen to your kids. And so instead you have to do a logical consequence like 
then the logical consequence of you play in the road is you're not allowed to play outside for five days or whatever, like whatever there. And I'm saying that um, I don't think we need this framework entirely. And then people in the comments were still like, so what kind of consequences should there be? <laughs> like, no, I'm like saying like, like go of the framework entirely. I, and then I have uh, maybe the fastest way that I can, can I, that I can put it in an example is that um, I think that there could be two parents who both do the same actions from the outside. If someone was just watching them from the outside and their, their mindset and what's going on in their brain is the only thing that's different. And I think that one of them, it just lends itself to better outcomes over time than the other. So I think that the other day we were trying to go to the farmer's market and we do this every week. Uh, and it's a, about a two mile walk. And we go in the, the kids go in the wagon because we go over roads and stuff. And so they have to be in a wagon. And um, uh, because of several things, we were late. We were like an hour and a half late because some people slept in and uh, and everybody was hungry and mad. And the kids were fighting constantly in the wagon. And, um, and my husband was getting frustrated because he was also hungry and mad. <laughs> and I was like, how about we just stop? And because the first thing we do is walk through a big field. And I was like, I will stay with the kids in the field. We will play in the field. You go pick up food and the fruit we need and then walk back and then we will all take it and we'll go home. And I could have been thinking in my mind, the consequence of you guys not behaving in the wagon is that you don't get to go with dad and dad's going to go by himself and you're going to stay with me in the field and we're all going to be mad about it in the field for 45 minutes until dad gets back. <laughs> and what was actually in my head was like, everybody is hungry everybody is tired nobody is doing well this will be a positive experience for absolutely no one in the family i would rather eat a slightly cold lunch because my husband has just walked it back from the market than eat a hot lunch right in the market from the food truck and everybody be furious at each other and have yelled at my kids and whatever whatever the most helpful thing for all of us right now is that we stop and play where there are no expectations that my kids sit still they can run around in a safe safe field with you know with fences on the sides and um and they ran around collecting feathers and squabbled with each other and collected more feathers and tried to climb a tree and 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 picked flowers and like so I could have come at that I it, it would have just been my own framework it would have literally only been my own framework in my head I could have made the exact same decision we will stay in the field until you come back with lunch and I could have made it with two different mindsets and the only thing that would be different is me like even my kids might have not even noticed that I had a different mindset, but I think that it, I do think that it leaks out like in the way that I'm treating them in the way that I'm talking to them in the view that I have on them running around the field. Cause if I'm thinking the consequence of your actions is that we're just going to stay here and you can't go with dad. Then if they go run off and look like they're having fun collecting feathers five seconds later, and I'm like, you haven't been suitably punished and you don't feel suitably bad for the consequences yeah. of your actions, then I might feel like I need to start doing more things because what I'm thinking is if I don't do something to them, they will never learn. And instead I was thinking everyone is hungry. We should just wait until we have food and we're all more reasonable again. And, and just like, and oh, not yeah. worry that 15 years down the road that means that my children won't be able to sit next to each other without trying to bite each other's heads off because they're hungry or whatever like I I don't have to borrow that fear from the future yeah that uh, as a yeah. former teacher in the classroom like it killed me even without knowing some of this like I wish I could go back and be a different teacher but even without knowing this it killed me that kids who are acting wild or couldn't sit still 
the immediate punishment was, okay, no recess for you. Yeah, it's absurd. It's the, it's the absolute last thing that kid needs the because what they, yeah. <laughs> yes. And so I think that you're right. I think if we, if we're viewing play as reward all the time, yeah. instead of play as what is the most helpful in this situation to make meaning, to grow, to engage, I think reframing it like that helps us not always remove it then as a punishment. Right. And the slippery slope that I see that it goes to is that it gets to where like love and positivity and respect become the things that you are withholding as part of your consequences. Because if I was standing there going, why are you guys having fun in this field? We're all supposed to be feeling bad about how we couldn't travel with dad. Then I would be like withholding warmth and affection from my kids because I would be worried that if they came up to me and showed me look, mom, I picked a bunch of flowers. And I was like, oh, cool. I'd be like, oh, wait, shoot. Am I reinforcing that they should be angry in the wagon? Because if they don't, then we will pick flowers and they will show them to me and I will seem happy and loving. Like it, like it's slippery slope so fast. Mm-hmm. And, and like, and so that's why I'm just like, that's just not even a help. I just let go of the whole framework. I'm not replacing it with a different thing. I'm saying I just let go of the whole framework. I feel like we can move toward ourselves in that same way and find a lot of healing. Oh, so much. <laughs> because I might be my own worst punisher and inner critic, right? Like Absolutely. it's if we could let go of that framework and move toward ourselves with unconditional grace and acceptance and love and belonging. Like it's all, yeah, I'll do the exact same thing to myself. I'm worse on myself than I am on my kids because I was raised one way and I'm trying to raise my kids another way. But I'll I'll be like, you know, like I'll, even for minor things, like I think I plan to do this thing in the evening that's important. And then I'll, I'll be like, no, I'm way too tapped out to do this thing. Um, but the consequences are, I don't get to do anything that would be relaxing or fun. I will just, you know, I will just like go to bed early, or I will just like lay on the couch and feel bad about how I'm not doing the thing. Like I can't, I sure can't replace it with playing a video game or unwinding in some way, because that would be rewarding myself for my terrible behavior. And like, none of that is helpful. If I'm exhausted, maybe I need to play like because I'm a human being and I need to take care of myself. Yeah. And just to reframing, like I know I've said before, like mommy needs a time out, you know, and then I, I go to my room just to be alone. But what if instead of it feeling like a punishment, right. like my withdrawing from them is a punishment to them, but also like I'm putting myself in time out because my temper is way up. What if it's like, what is the most helpful for everyone in this situation? And it is being by myself for a little bit, right. but then there, it's more about a re- way to re-engage and move toward myself. Like you were saying, Deidre, rather than like punishing myself for having a the, the consequence of my anger coming out is that I have to go be alone or what is most helpful for me right now. Oh, that's good stuff. You guys. <laughs> Wow. I loved this conversation. I, there are so many, so many different ways we could go with this and more things to talk about. So a hundred percent, you're going to come back and talk to us more. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, we'll post in the show notes, like where they can come find you at your website and then even follow you on social media, which is, I think where a lot of the the meat is that I see all the time. You're one of the first posts to pop up in the mornings when I log in. So I enjoy starting my day with your wisdom and I force myself to read all 30 paragraphs. No, I'm just oh, kidding. I know. Oh my gosh. It is, uh, it is probably a lot to wake up to, but it's because no, I love talking. nuance. <laughs> I love that you give examples. Um, and, and it's not, you're, you're not just giving a theory about something you're giving practical things that people can implement and you're speculating. And if this situation and this, and I can't speak to this, but maybe this, and you're so engaging in the comments when people ask you questions. So I just really appreciate the community that you're leading there and the yeah, support you're offering. Fantastic. Uh, 
it's it's like one of the exceptions to the internet rule of don't read the comments uh you can read the comments on you should read the comments on on my page yeah. usually they're pretty good well thank you kelsey we appreciate your time absolutely thank you guys for having me and that wraps up another episode of the dotless grace exchange be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app and leave a review so other people can find us you can follow us on social media to stay connected. We're on Instagram at Dauntless Grace Ministries, and our Facebook page is Dauntless Grace. For more about the Enneagram, visit our website at dauntlessgrace.org for coaching and training opportunities. And you can follow me at Enneagram Megan on Instagram. And be sure to check out our website for more information about today's podcast. Plus, you can click the resources tab to find books by all the authors we've spoken to or about. And you can find it at dauntlessgrace.org.